once I started talking about this experience to Eric, because he was genuinely interested in my experience, I, I, I found out like this young girl, like I, I think I felt an inner child um, trauma, like I can speak and people will understand me. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast focused on providing educators with inspiration and strategies to help multilingual learners achieve their highest aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. In our last episode, we spoke with Dr. Joanna Drebbe and Dr. Eric Macias about the work they're doing to facilitate meaningful discussions among undergraduate students on immigration at the University of Albany. One of the things we took away from that episode is that some of the strategies they are using might be really valuable in K-12 settings where many students feel silenced, students with immigration stories, that is. On this episode, I spoke with one of their students about how the experience impacted her and actually shifted her academic and professional trajectory. Falmari Rojas Barrios is a graduate student now who worked with Dr. Drebi and Dr. Macias as an undergraduate. She joins us to share a student perspective on how access and lack thereof to EL services impacted her K-12 experiences, the challenges she and many young people with immigrant parents face in sharing their migration experiences, and some great recommendations for how schools can better support the many students who share her experience. We'll be featuring Dr. Joanna Drebi and Falmari Rojas Barrios during our fourth annual Impact Conference. This is a free virtual event that takes place on December 4th, 5th, and 7th. We have some really, really great sessions. You can find more information and you can register by visiting our EL community at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. I think we already have up to about 2,300 people. So we're really excited to share uh, Falmati's story along with Dr. Joanna Drebi and many others. We hope you join us. As always, thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Falmati Rojas Barrios. Palmari Rojas Barrios, welcome back. It is really great to see you again. It has been, I think, like a year and a half since we spoke of the podcast. Yeah, it's been definitely over, over a year because I remember it still being sunny the last time we spoke. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, so this is a really interesting opportunity. What we're doing with this um, is we're actually going to be using this interview or parts of this interview for um, our Elevation Impact Conference, where Dr. Joanna Drebbe, who is also featured in the podcast episode that we did a while back, um, is going to present on the topic of kind of immigrant stories and English learners born in the United States and sort of, you know, what the ramifications are of that. You did such a fabulous job talking about that um, a year and a half ago on the episode. It's one of my, honestly, one of my favorite conversations. You were so open and vulnerable. And I said that, and I'll say it again, I really appreciate that. And we appreciate you coming on again and sort of lending your voice and your experience to this. Uh, I think what will be a really impactful, for lack of no pun intended, <laughs> impactful session at our impact session. Okay. So, thank you for having me back. It's an honor and a pleasure once again. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. So let's so just let's just ground everybody in where you are. So you're a second year master's student. Tell us where you are studying and what you are studying to kind of kick us off here. Yeah, Steve. Um, I am a second-year master master student here at um, University of Albany, well, State University of Albany. Um, and uh, I have completely switched careers. Um, I remember the last time we spoke, it was when I first switched careers. But I am um, working on my thesis right now. Um, uh, the topic is Latinx women, which is me, which is really interesting, and um, it's been a great journey, a healing journey, all throughout my my MA. Um, 
and I'm really excited for the next chapter after this. Great. Yeah, last time we talked, you had just made that change, and it was a pretty drastic one, and I remember you being really excited about it. It's good to hear you still feel like you're on the right path, and you're excited about it. Um, we talked a little bit about this uh, before, but I'm going to get into some of the same questions, similar questions that we talked about before to kind of set us up for um, for impact and just to let the audience kind of know who you are. So tell us about your, this is kind of a broad question, but tell us your, your sort of family migration story. Yeah, um, well, my mother first migrated to the United States when she was around 16, um, settled in LA for a few years, then migrated back um, to Mexico. And um, this, the second time, which was when she had me, she migrated um, to New York City uh, back in like the 90s and um, then settled there. Uh, we, she, we've gone back to Mexico, so I do consider myself a migrant as well because um, I went to Mexico from two to four years old and came back with my father and um, I had a uh, child once again to live in Mexico when I was uh, 14 and then came back when I was 17. So it's just um, a mess and all of this has been with my mom. <clears throat> so uh, she never naturalized, unfortunately. And still to today, I still travel back to Mexico. At least I try once a year to see her and to visit her um which you know it's gonna i think this is gonna be the same process up until who knows <laughs> yeah um, and your story your story is reflective of so many other students um and, and really you know young people's stories um particularly the, the students that we work with and the the teachers that we work with the students that they serve and so i want to get into a little bit about like sort of that educational experience that you had in k-12 which was obviously interrupted by you know moving to different places back and forth to mexico but if you think about the time that you were in school um here in the states what experiences did you have with ell uh, or you know ell is the term we'll use but the, that's such a wide term mll eb there's lots of terms what experiences did you have with ell services um and what types of services did sort of others in your family receive um so um i did uh Kind not kindergarten. I did um pre-kindergarten, which is like um I'm not sure what it's called. I forgot the word. Pre-K, yeah. Pre-K, there we go. I did pre-K in Mexico and um I came back and started kindergarten and first grade. I was never um given uh ESL, which is like you know English as second language. Uh and I had a quite quite a struggle learning the languages, both of them, not just English, but also Spanish. Um my mother was encouraged. Um, not to speak Spanish to us instead of um, giving me ESL. So um, they told her, they, they, the school system ultimately held me back first grade um, because of my lack of English domination, you know, proficiency, and um, gave my sister um, ESL, but did not give me. <laughs> so mm. we, I've always had this, like, um, really separated understanding of of. ESL because um, I was deemed a little bit more proficient and did not require the services, but my sister did. And um, I always served as the translator for my sister, which was like also like not okay for teachers to encourage um, another child speaking for someone, yep. you know, like, and, and I didn't even understand what I was saying essentially. Um, so I was sneaked into ESL once in a while with my sister because my mom asked 
um, the ESL teacher who uh, was one of the few teachers who spoke Spanish in our school, in my elementary school, um, because I was struggling with grades and uh, my mother requested on a personal level to the, to the teacher, hey, like, can you think you can just, uh, you know, take her once in a while just so she can, you know, have that extra service because she's being obviously like struggling um, with the with English. And this was up until like fifth grade that I was provided like once in a while classes of ESL. Um, but then one day the language just clicked. I don't, I don't remember if it was sixth grade or seventh grade, but like I just picked, started speaking um, a lot more, but it wasn't because of the education system. I feel like, I, I feel like it was, um, uh, I don't even know. I, I can't even explain what, what allowed me to even start speaking because yeah. I, my mother, she was, um, told to buy a very expensive English teaching video cassette. Um, I don't know if you have any, uh, if you remember like in the early 2000s, they were doing English in Barreras, mm -hmm. um, which is like to encourage, you know, Spanish speakers, Spanish speakers to go to, to learn English from home. So my mom bought me the Disney version for children. Mm -hmm. And she, every year was uh, like, I think for like seven years, every year she got the new version to um, help us learn English and instead of having Cartoon Network or like just children TV I was learning English the whole most of the time at home and um my mom did, didn't want us speaking Spanish outside of the house if it wasn't with her she only encouraged us to speak in English so I feel like it was very much my mom's um encouraging and like her she also tried a lot to learn English and so right. we were learning English together so it was a very nice bonding I felt with my mother because like we both didn't know the language like I spoke to her in Spanish and I, she would sit down and watch the children version instead of the adult version because even the adult version was too complex for her because she got herself also the adult version to this English learning cassette set um and friends that she would just sit with us and do the activities with us so maybe I, I can say with my mom who really even though she doesn't speak English she's the one who did it for like who put all her effort and just I feel like her caring enough to because I didn't see that at school at school they would just put me aside and um since I wasn't up to date as the other children I was often like just ignored um mm -hmm. so it, my mom um even though she didn't know English sitting there doing my math homework she's like math is the same no matter what language so we're gonna understand this so oftentimes we're doing the math homework with neither of us understanding what they were asking we're just doing the operations um and mind you my mom only finished I think second year of middle school um in Mexico which is probably seventh yeah. or sixth grade so um it was it, it, it the K through it was essentially just my mom and I teaching each other as we went literally one with the other I would explain to her what I understood at school she would explain to me what she understood from her back from her previous education and we just try to connect the dots ourselves all the time yeah 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 it sounds like a pretty inconsistent sort of experience um with yellow or ESL services at your school your sister was getting them and you weren't and perhaps mm -hmm. they didn't identify you in the right way and you kind of slipped through the cracks and unfortunately um while I do think that's getting better that that is that does happen. And I guess, you know, credit to your mom for persevering and, and, um, and give and really advocating for what she knew that, um, that you needed. And I think it probably clicked for you because you had years to kind of figure it out on your own, which is not or with your mom's help, but not really the best way to do things. Um, and 
you know, just listening to you now, people can understand you're, you're a person who, oh, I saw this a year and a half ago in the podcast who really, you're not really reluctant to talk about your experiences. You're pretty open, which, which I really appreciate, but not everybody is. So my next question is, is why do you think young people like yourself with immigrant parents might be really reluctant to talk about their experiences um, with migration at school? Um, yeah, I started speaking about my experience in um, senior year of my undergrad degree when I met. Okay, her- so so certainly not in K twelve. Yeah, it was a lot later. <laughs> it was definitely not through K twelve. Um, in K, um, so yeah, my healing, like me just speaking about this experience, was up until Eric was like, "Ask me, what is your experience?" Like, so I don't feel like ever K through twelve unless it was to pity me or to um and I went again to why um pity it was either like to pity or um just because they're they were curious about my migration my mom's migration status um pity because when my um I mentioned to you before my mother was deported um in the last podcast when I was 14 and I had 14 or 13 I had various professors uh, teachers in my middle school offered to adopt me which was really interesting because um up until before that, I didn't think professor teachers saw me or even considered me as a, as like a student, um, because my mom was always telling me you can't, I can't trust teachers. So it is also being aware that children of migrants at home were told very differently how to socialize or were taught very different how to socialize than children in classrooms. So I often didn't understand like how to act or didn't know what way to act because at home um, I was told don't talk I cannot talk about my mom being um, an undocumented migrant because at the time I didn't know all the repercussions of of not being a, a person with status here in the states so um, my mom didn't encourage socializing or expressing my point of views ever when it came to outsiders of our family or specifically to like um, institutional actors like teachers and guidance counselors and um, then at school we're encouraged to talk about stuff that's going on at home sometimes so when it was around like show and tell when it was time for us to talk about a weekend I often just gave a superficial um, explanation like yeah it went mm-hmm. to the park or whatever I didn't speak about um having to read the documents, my mom's immigration documents to her, or having to go with her um, to her ICE check-ins or whatever, you know? I was not mentioning that one because I was really ashamed of it because I grew up with the understanding that Mexicans um, are dirty and uh, we're just here as undocumented people and we're just, we're not Americans, we're not white. Um, I have the understanding that uh, American, a gringo is white. And I am not that, so I'm not an American. So I was socialized, brought up to, I embodied my mom's status. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even though I had a social and I had my passport and I had the status, the citizenship, I did not feel ever like a citizen. citizen. So um, there was a special, not, not a special school, but this school designated for migrant children um, called Hostos. I think we spoke about it also last in our podcast. Um, that I was not admitted to because um, I scored too low on the test. And um, I guess because I wasn't, I had citizenship. That's just my theory, my guess. But I wasn't allowed to go into that school that was 
essentially made for children who don't speak English, children who have this background of migration. Um, I was not admitted. So um, once I started talking about this experience to Eric, because he was genuinely interested in my experience, I, I, I found out like this young girl, like I, I think I felt an inner child um, trauma. Like I can speak and people will understand me because before I wouldn't think people could understand me when I would talk about it and I would feel judged or, and now that my mom is not in the country, it's like also this weight lifted off me. But I definitely mm -hmm. feel like having that safety net of like, I can speak and nothing's gonna happen to me because I am a US citizen. Um, I under, which is really weird that the separation that my mom gave me this whole other identity. Um, <laughs> I just, that's how I think of it a little bit because like I came back to the States and it was just different. Like I can talk about my experience without being fearful that they're going to come knock on my door and take my mom. Yeah. So I feel like yeah. That also had a lot to do with them. Yeah. And you, you just gave some great examples of how you personally silenced your own migration experiences in classrooms. Mm -hmm. I mean, you talked about just being very vague on the weekends and not talking about some of the really heavy things that you were doing, translating for your mom in court, like things like that, like really, like really, really heavy things. And then you gave us an example of, or you, 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 I think you said that one of the reasons that you were able to overcome those silences, um, and maybe you don't have a full understanding of it, but it's definitely true is that your mom is no longer in the States. Can you provide any other examples of like how you learned to overcome those silences? Was it strictly that, that your mom is no longer in the States or is there other pieces as well? You mentioned Eric Macias who asked you about your story. Yeah. Um, I, I, another thing that really helped me was, seeing this video clip of um, protests occurring in 2013 for, um, during Obama's administration. And um, he was like, it was mass deportation. So I saw this video of people who um, were protesting for people like me who were being shipped off with my mom um, during um, that administration. So I, um, I was like, if they can speak up for me, I should be able to speak up, speak up for myself. Mm. So just seeing the solidarity um, just through a video clip um it made me sob like a little baby and it just brought that like I was I remember being in the airplane and crying like no one knows this no one thinks about this reality I'm leaving and it's being on unseen I'm not seeing no one else knows about what's happening so seeing so seeing that people were um taking the streets for the cause and even though they didn't have direct ties, they might have not had direct ties. It, it was just like this relation to humanity, I feel like. And um, understanding that there is not such an individual, like I was so individualistic, um, thinking everything was about like, everything that happened to me was only occurring to me because I just have that, I was just born into it. I was born to be the daughter of a Mexican migrant. That it's who I am and there's no question asked. Now I just have to, see what I do about it. I have citizenship, now I should be a surgeon, I should be a, 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 a lawyer. Um, but I realized, wait, no, that's so lonely. I, I'm so alone. And Eric and Jordan provided this community for me. And I feel like just having someone to listen to me um, and yeah. not, not like uh, censor me essentially, like, mm -hmm. like in K through 12, discussions are very censored because a lot because it's children so me speaking of deportations might um or the p possibility of a deportation might scare other children who aren't aware of this 
political or sure. uh, legal consciousness. Um, I just read that term recently. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, so, um, so I, yeah. So that so that kind of brings me to my next question. Um, you and many others didn't really have um, the supports or the structures that you needed to be able to tell your story and to be able to show your true identity. And so you were spending a lot of time sort of hiding from that or not sharing with others, which takes a tremendous amount of energy. It makes it really hard to learn, um, which I know you experienced because we talked about that last time. So my question here is given what you did not experience, what types of supports do you think schools can and should provide for students like you who, who were born in the U.S. and are, are EL students and have experiences similar to yours? Um, yeah, so speaking from um, my own perspective, like from a personal perspective, um, I think uh, support groups um, for children who would like to volunteer or just sign up for, the, for a support group um, where it's confidential, uh, I know it's children and it's the, it gets really murky when we're having, because, um, you know, social services and that. But I think it would have been really impressionable for me if I would have had a support group who could stimulate these thoughts, like the way the professors and here and Max have done for me, um, allow me to question uh um, I guess just to work critical, um, critical consciousness. Um, I really enjoyed our in, the independent study I had with Professor Drevy and just thinking about how we can take that through K to, through 12, how mm-hmm. um, children can just come and discuss either their experience or an experience they know of um, and be able to critically analyze it, like to put explanations to it, even though it can be really hard. But just for example, when I was going through my mom's immigration process, I would have really appreciated someone to come and ask me, how do you feel about that? Um, and not too much as a therapy session, but just as, um, just as like room, a space for me to, where my mom wasn't present. So like I, I often felt like I couldn't speak my personal, thoughts because I didn't want to offend her or her, mm-hmm. her feelings. So also allowing that where a child can speak um, is about the pain, the hurt, um, the anxiety that our parents' status brings to us without uh, being scared. One, that my parents going to be hurt and two, that, um, that they was going to be taken to CPS, you know? <laughs> so that, that's yeah. also another fear that I also have. So maybe peer support groups um, Mm -hmm. could have been uh, helpful for me. Um, Also, I feel like encouraging uh, books on um, mixed status people. Um, I read, I I think, my first mixed perspective, like an author whose perspective was really similar to mine until college. So I definitely would like to, like, like, I would have preferred to have read something like that in sixth grade when I was struggling through puberty. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. Things that the, yeah, we, we talk a lot about that, um, providing resources and content and particularly books that um, reflect the experience of the students that are in classes. And oftentimes we don't have those and that's important. And then the idea of these support groups, and it sounded like almost like you're just like a safe space 
that you knew was safe, that you could talk with people, um, would be, would be good to have. One of the things that Professor Drebby and I were talking about our last podcast episode and Dr. Macias is the idea of how can we take what they're doing in that independent study that was so formative for you, that was so important for you and take elements of that and bring it to a, to a K-12 setting. And I think those two things that you just mentioned um, are really, really important. Um, what about like, so, so those are, we're talking now about sort of systems, like things that we can put in place in a curriculum or in a school system, a support group and books, the curriculum with the right books and everything. But what about like specific educators working with young people like you um what even if they're working in a system that maybe doesn't support uh students like you as much as they would like what things did they do for you thinking back that you would like to see more of like what can they do to help even if they're working in a system that may not be ideal um, i think um encourage um one-on-one interactions with students um in private i feel like uh just talking to like a um a person as another person i feel like um educators k through 12 there's it's often like a bunch of students in per classroom so that Mm -hmm. limits how much one-on-one time um, educators can have with children, but I feel like at least once in a while, like I feel like having one-on-one interactions because that's um, what I, I, I was provided with um, through office hours with professors. Um, that chance to just um, get to know each other um, aside from just like, uh, I guess the classroom setting, it is like just like, you know, we are learning off of each other. Teachers often learn from students, and students are often learn from teachers. So just uh, taking that, I guess, um, messing around with the power dynamics and just be like, so like, let's go for coffee. But no, let's just go for, come to my desk or lunch if you want uh, for five minutes and let's talk about your day or your week. Um, One-on-one interactions would be definitely um, the first thing that would come to mind. Uh, Another thing would be maybe um, I I'm a art, I like arts and crafts, and I, I often find myself like drawing or painting something that is um really like it, that's influencing my life at the moment a lot. So yeah. um maybe encouraging more creative like coping mechanisms like mm-hmm. that seem less um like strict. Like if you're ha- if you're having this mess, like I would have. Specifically through K through twelve, um, I guess learning how to navigate our emotions within such, um, for example, institutional settings like at school. Um, if you're having a bad day, you can't cry or you can't. Yeah, but children don't know that. So I think also learning how to navigate more what we're feeling if we're feeling stress. Um, for example, my mother didn't know how have known how to um help me cope with this double identity I, I had of um not of a non-immigrant and another immigrant mm-hmm. uh, or migrant so also like providing services where um children are allowed to like directly like analyze their own experience <laughs> um 
Yeah. I guess just like, um, yeah, I mean, you're bringing up a lot of really important things. I mean, I like the notes I took down was like one-to-one interactions. I like what you said about office hours. I remember very clearly getting to college and really taking advantage of office hours and, and even not having had the same sort of difficult experiences that you had growing up. Just that one-to-one connection that I felt I had dispo- available to me when I needed it was really important. And we don't really have in most schools, and you have a guidance counselor and you have teachers that you can connect with. But I think I love the idea of um, of, of office hours, you know, and, and having those one-to-one connections um, at your disposal when, when needed. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting as well. Um, I wonder if there's anything as we kind of wrap up here that, that we didn't get into that you wish that I had asked you, um, or other sort of information that you'd like to, to put out there as we explore this topic. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, a topic that, um, I often think a lot about is, um, college admissions processes and guidance um, for all of that fun stuff. <laughs> um, I wish I would have had a little bit more guidance from professors, from teachers, um, K through 12, well, obviously more high school. But I feel like that is also something that I feel um, wasn't um, encouraged a lot in my high school. Uh, maybe because I was just uh, not as active on school as I should have been. But um, definitely like encouraging more that option because often um, I felt like I had to do it alone, like the whole process. Like there are, I had to declare myself as a special um, status for financial aid and an independent student, which was really difficult. And I feel like a lot of children might be, are sh- like be in the situation at 18, their parents don't have status or something, right? And now they mm-hmm. have to perform everything as an independent student, financial aid and all of this. So I think just being aware of um, how limit, like how all these boundaries we have to go to school, um, even for higher education and to like not give up on students essentially. But, no. Yeah. Well, it's just I'm, important. <laughs> I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's really, really important. I mean, it's a huge thing to navigate as somebody who has uh, been to college and has two master's degrees and now has children who are about to, one of them in college and one of them about to enter, it is very, very difficult to navigate that process. And I've been in education my whole life. And so to have to do that on your own, first of all, you deserve a lot of credit. I think I said this last time for doing it. And I know your mom supported you as well, but you really had to navigate that on your own. And um, while it's, while I loved saying congratulations and praising you for it, I'm also a little bit sad. And it makes me sad that you didn't have the support that you needed because I'm sure you taking all the time to do those things and all of the cognitive load that it took to do that. There were other things that you probably were not able to do because you had to concentrate so much on things that you should really have support with. Yeah, I definitely had to limit a lot my like um, adolescence, pre young adult experiences. I did not find myself going out with friends as much or having like a social group. So I definitely feel like, um, children who navigate these these the, the college system by themselves um often not have to sacrifice like social like having like social groups or even like just exercising or like 
college applications are expensive, so maybe I might have to buy less of my food mm-hmm. um, grocery list this week to pay for college applications. So it's definitely like a lot of levels that go into play, like with these sacrifices that um, are often not, not, not talked about. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're, you're talking about three extremely important things. You just mentioned basically um, social, right? situations which there's all kinds of studies right now that talk about the dangers of loneliness and being isolated it, it's really really has a massive effect on people's health you're talking about the ability to exercise which is obviously really really an important thing to do especially when you're younger and well really throughout your life and then the other one is like nutrition you talked about you not being able to buy the food that you want to buy because you have to i mean the the, the influence there I, you just kind of said them out loud but i i want people to really like think about what those just the first three things you mentioned, those sacrifices are huge. They're hugely important for everybody. So, yeah. And children, like, as you're like, US citizens, we go through this, even though we have this citizenship. So, I just want to raise, like, highlight that, like, even though we have citizenship, like, I had applied for SNAPs and I got denied and denied because like, I'm working enough hours as a 18 year old. Um, so, it's like mm. really difficult to even with citizenship to be able to navigate um, just any, any part of our lives. And of course, like this is not just applicable to children and migrants, but also to other racial minorities. Like, so it, it, like it's, it's an overlapping issue that not just our one population is affected by. This is even like, you know, um, lower middle-class children also go through this with um, US citizen parents. So it's like, you know, it's something that definitely overstores to youth in general. Yeah. Well, Famari, you're, you're a great advocate. Um, and even in the year and a half since we've talked, I can see that there's you've learned so much more and you're um, even more eloquent than you were. I feel like you've you've done um, a tremendous job. Just, you know, what I'm observing in this half an hour conversation, really thinking about what you're studying and being able to explain it to others, which is a gift. Um, it's one thing to know it all. And it's another thing to be able to explain it to people. And it's another thing to be able to explain it, not only from what you've read, but from your own experience. So um, really, really um, proud of all the work that you've done and just so happy that you're able to collaborate with us. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.